This is not like your regular mob podcast. It's your coal mom podcast. Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Amanda. And, and we, we are, are Mom Goals, the podcast. podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Mom Goals, the podcast. We have an exciting announcement. So we are actually rebranding to Mom Gold, G-O-L-D, because we are bigger than goals. We are actually talking to people that have these golden nuggets of information, these words of wisdom. They're beyond just a goal. They are really achieving everything. And we are in so much awe. And we have so many exciting things coming to you. Like, we can't wait to tell everything. I'm but so excited. So please bear with us while we go through this transition. We have more things to share about. Uh, but Definitely follow us at Mongols the podcast for the latest information as we go through this transition. And gold is timeless, it's effervescent, it's powerful, and gold will always have its worth. And always be in style. But first, Amanda, let's talk about what we're going to get into today. I am so excited. Lydia Finette, we are speaking with her. She is the ultimate, I mean, the most powerful woman in the room, literally, Lydia is the Global Managing Director of Strategic Partnerships of Christie's. She is a best-selling author of The Most Powerful Woman in the World. She is a thought leader. She's led auctions for more than 600 organizations and raised over half a billion dollars for nonprofits globally. She's a keynote speaker. She's a mom of three. And she's truly one of the most inspirational. This woman has it all together. She's a go-getter. She's she's as real as they come. She is certainly, her path has not been linear. I think we can all, mom, not mom, anyone starting out in their career, Lydia has a lot to tell us. Um, her work has been featured in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Cranes. I love that. So Before we get into our conversation, I want to check in with you. How are you doing, Mama? What what's going on? Tell me what is your hard cheese of the week? Hard cheese this week has been I don't know what is happening cosmically. It has been another yes. I think it's a bit of a like a continuation of last week. Not worse. Like I feel like things have been whirling. I've you know, I'm still kind of marinating on this house thing and I feel like I'm spending a lot of time my third job looking for another home. It really is another job. Yeah, it's it's a bit of uncertainty for me right now. I mean, the time is kicking. I have to be out of my house in August. Um, this market is insane. Literally, like all cash offers well above 20%. I mean, you can't get on things fast enough. It's a bit deflating. So so that's more, I'd say it's like more of an extenuating stress. Um, but I've also had my daughter with me the last week and a half, and she's just been all giggles and funny and feels really good, you know. I'm going to put that into hard and soft cheese because she's been along for the ride. Mommy, I like this. I don't like that. My kids um, have been with me for the past week, but I don't know if I'd put what? that in my soft cheese because um, my hard cheese is that I got COVID. I and know. I've, I know. And I spent two years trying to protect right. myself, protect my family, and really just I can't believe it happened. And of course, you know, I wear masks everywhere and I've been very cautious and it's You're when so you, diligent. I like know. And really it's when you, I really am. But it just, you know, you can't avoid it, I guess. And it happened because I saw family. We tested right before they came and they tested the day before and we were all fine. And then 
day after everybody tests positive or they tested positive and it took us a few days, but it's been rough. I'm not going to lie. Um, so yeah, I've been in bed for like five days. Today's the first day I'm feeling kind of human. Mm. I, I was able to put on makeup and some real clothes, some, you know, not pajamas. You haven't once. I, well, I wouldn't call this mild, but, um, you know, it's, it's something that I'm really grateful that I'm okay. And, I, I'm always in brain fog anyway, being a mom. So what else is, you know, just to add a little bit more brain fog, not a big deal. Uh, but I will say the soft cheese has been that I'm so lucky that I have a good support system. My husband's been really supportive and uh, I was able to actually, I hate to say, take a break. <laughs> I hate that COVID is really the one time that a mom really, I guess, is allowed to take a break because I, you know, I was able to be in bed and not, and have an excuse. Like I was emailing people like I have COVID can't deal with this right now. And people got it. Uh, it was hard for me. I did actually do a lot of work while I was in bed. And it's really sad that as a mom, as an entrepreneur, it's hard to shut off. Impossible. You know, I know. I really thought Impossible. I was going to spend a week watching like Seinfeld re- reruns or whatnot, but that sounds so nice. Right. And I couldn't concentrate. Never and happening. I, no, uh-huh. never happening. I couldn't concentrate and I couldn't I couldn't just shut off. You know, my kids really wanted to be around me. They isolated or I isolated from them for a few days because I didn't want to give them COVID and it turned mm-hmm. out they had it. So yeah. And now I'm trying to work and balance being quarantined with two kids for 10 days. You're so. doing an amazing job. That is yeah, hard. but that's, that's the hard cheese. That's really hard cheese. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that people don't realize. Like it's beyond just being sick. It's, we don't, as moms and especially working never. moms Ugh. get that time. It's so hard, but you know, it makes us stronger. I mean, you're doing literally everything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's, it's, it could be worse. And, you know, as I always, I think because I lost my mom as a a kid, I always look at everything in perspective as it can be worse. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful to have my health, even though I'm coughing up a storm. So, you know, it is what it is and we'll get Um, past it and, you know, on to bigger and better things all around. Yeah. This has been a really tough week for us, but. um, But it'll get better. And oh my God, we get to talk to Lydia Finette. So let's get into it. We need her. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what are we doing now? Hi, Lydia. Hi. Hi, Amanda. So happy to have you on. I'm thrilled to be um, on. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are fascinated by you. I mean, your story is absolutely unbelievable. If anything nonlinear, this is a woman who knows what she wants, who gets what she wants, who shows us all really how to own your power. Um, Every time I feel like I hear you speak or have you out, I'm like, wow, this woman is just a powerhouse. Um, So inspirational. And I'm so excited about your journey. I would love to hear everything. How did you become the most powerful woman in the room? We need to know. (laughs) I know. It is so funny. People often ask me when my book came out, which is the most powerful woman in the room is you. How did you become the most powerful woman in the room? And honestly, to answer that question, that was the reason that I wrote the book, because I felt like the journey was the interesting part of kind of stepping into my power and really learning to own my power. And 
I didn't start off feeling like the most powerful woman in the room, certainly. You know, if you have read my book, if you haven't read my book, I can give you a quick story. I worked at Christie's Auction House for 22 years. I have been an auctioneer for almost 19 of those years. And every single time that I was standing on stage or getting off stage to take a charity auction late at night to raise money for a nonprofit, there was always a woman who was standing near stage or maybe seated at the table where I had just gotten up. And when say something like, I could never do what you do. I could never stand on stage and ask for things. I hate asking people. And it was just sort of this negative diatribe about all the things that they couldn't do as it pertained to selling. And I grew up with a mother who's British, very poised, very elegant, hates selling, hates asking for things. And I grew up in Louisiana, which is not a place where women are really taught to go out and ask for things and get what they want, or at least they weren't when I was growing up there. And I really took that question time, time to heart. I, I kept thinking to myself, like, how did I learn how to do this? And I realized that I learned it on stage as an auctioneer, where I was forced to get out there and ask people for things, even though at the beginning it felt completely uncomfortable. And that's really what the book is about. It's about learning to sell and not that any of us are given this talent that we're good at selling, but rather it's something that we can learn through doing things that make us feel comfortable in our own skin and having the confidence to ask for things. I love that. So wait, how does one become an auctioneer? I, I actually have never met an auctioneer before. <laughs> this is the best so, part. I know. Yeah. Confidence exudes. like Yes, from auctioneering just, as well. So I became an auctioneer. I started working at a company called Christie's Auction House. I interned there in college. Heard of it. Small, yeah. small little global company. A small global company. But to be honest, it wasn't a company that I was aware of growing up. I read an article in Vanity Fair magazine when I was a junior in college about this mystical auction world and this place called Christie's where Princess Diana had chosen to auction off her dresses. And there was something about it that was so compelling to me. It really captured my imagination. And people are, you know, we're all wired differently, but I think there's something in me that if I see something that I want, I'm going to go after it and I'm going to make it happen, period, end of sentence. And I don't know what that path is going to look like. I don't know how long it's going to take, but if I see it and I want it, I will go after it until I get it. And it may not look like I thought it was going to look when I started going after it, but I will get there in some form. I am confident of it. And so I applied for an internship at Christie's. And I honestly had no idea that you had to apply for an internship because, you know, my parents were sort of like, oh, this is, this seems like a fun place you could work. And, you know, in New York city, if you're growing up here, you learn at a very early age that there's a path, you know, there's a path to everything that you do. And it's not like that in Louisiana. You know, if you want to intern for someone's father or sister or brother, you just call them up. And here it's a months long process and there's a whole interview cycle. And I had missed all of those things. <laughs> and I essentially just stalked the internship coordinator until she finally relented and let me do an internship. And once you let me in the door, I will never leave. And so the same thing kind of happened with auctioneering. I'd been working at Christie's for about three or four years, and I had seen the auctioneers taking auctions and especially these charity auctions that took place late at night out in the world of New York and society with everyone dressed up in black tie. And it was kind of everything I wanted. And I was always going as sort of the assistant to the auctioneer or the person who was spotting, which means you're standing in the back, you know, mm -hmm. waving frantically when the auctioneer is doing something. And I just kept thinking like, oh, I want to be up on that stage. Like, Let me get up there. I want to try. And so they finally had tryouts um, four years after I started. They had tryouts of a lot of people and basically sort of said, you know, we're going to open this to the whole company so anyone can try out. And 
I tried wow. out into four days. I was still standing like survivor still there. And they just let me take auctions pretty much from that minute on. And I never stopped. And I still, I still take, you know, probably in the month of May, I think I'm taking 20 auctions this year. So it's like an addiction. I love it so much. I can't stop. And the side benefit for me is that I'm always raising money for nonprofit. So it's incredibly exciting. That so, feels that's, so good. That's if you've I'm- ever seen Lydia speak at an event or at an auction, she literally commands the room. I think <laughs> I've been in and around her presence in the female entrepreneur world of New York City and this woman, the whole room will be silent. So even reading your book, it's like literally a cup of confidence and selling for the soul. You can't, you can't turn it. I think every woman, mom, not mom could benefit from this. It's something that we're not taught to ask for, right? I really hope so. And I want, I wanted that book to be that for people, because I think we don't have that a lot in life. And a lot of us seek it from other people. And I think the biggest message of my first book, and I just finished writing my second book called Claim Your Confidence. And I truly believe that we all have it in us to feel that. And it's such a gift once you do. You know, I feel that every time I get on stage, every time I do a presentation, I feel confident in that. And I want that for other people. And it is not something that you are necessarily born with. Like I got just as nervous walking on stage that first auction as anybody who's ever stood up to do a public speaking course or moment in their life has. But I think if you push yourself to do it, you can learn how to do it and you can learn how to do it well. And that's the exciting part because if you can learn to do something and you have the will to learn, you can make it happen. Did you ever have imposter syndrome though? Like how do you overcome that? Of course, we all have imposter syndrome. How can we not? We're taught from a very early age to keep our mouths sort of quiet and not be the loudest person in the room and to be deferential to the loudest person in the room. So of course we walk into rooms thinking that we shouldn't be there. That's that's the way that we've all been taught. And I think now in the generations that are growing up, there will be less of that hopefully. But as a woman in her early 40s, I can certainly say that I don't know anyone at any level of success um, as a woman who hasn't felt that. Wow. So I always say when it comes to imposter syndrome, a couple of tips that I hope you guys can take away. First of all, Ooh, taking notes. Take notes. <laughs> The first one is always when somebody says something to you, whether this be, you know, in passing at the parent teacher association, or if this is something where you're in an office and somebody casually makes a remark, really think about what they said instead of creating a storyline that doesn't exist. So I'll give you an example. I was doing coaching with a woman who I work with and she said to me, well, you know, I, I ran into this senior executive and he said something like, it's really nice to see you back in the office so much after COVID. Um, did you have a nice time spending time with your kids while you were home? And she said, I you did. And then she said, it. oh God. Yeah. As soon as he Projecting. said it, the first thing I thought to myself was, yeah. he doesn't think that I work hard enough. Like he doesn't think that I work hard enough. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go into that spiral where all of a sudden you're knee deep in this moment. And so I said to her, why don't you just repeat back to me exactly what he said? And she did. And what did he say? It's nice to see you back in the office, right? It must have been nice to spend time with having your kids, to be with your kids at home, which it was, right? That's the end of the conversation. Nothing else happened from there. So I said to her, if you're going to make up a storyline, why not make up a storyline that sounds something like this? Hey, it's great to see you back in the office. Like You're such a great colleague. I'm so excited that you're here. Also, a mom at home as well. You're killing it. My God, to be able to multitask like that. Like, why do we always go into the negative, you know? Like, but think about that. If every time when someone says something negative, like those pants are really red, you're like, oh, they think that these pants look bad. I look, you know, terrible. And why am I wearing them? And like, 
wearing red pants. Like, good for you. You look amazing. Like, we should do that for ourselves. Like, that's how we get rid of imposter syndrome. Because if we're constantly eroding our own self confidence in a meeting where, or in a, any kind of moment where we are in our lives, why are why are we looking around for other people to do that to us? We don't need them. We do it to ourselves. So stop the conversation internally, and that's the first key. Um, and I definitely think more than any, well, any, anything, the other thing you can always do is just accept that no one's going to give you a gold star. I think we're all seeking that, that gold I star know. that everyone thinks they're going to get at some point. I'm like, you don't get a gold star for folding laundry. No one gives you a gold star for showing up for work. I like, wish you, somebody you, did. <laughs> I know, right? But like, you know, if you're tired and you don't feel like doing it that night, no one gives you a gold star. Just be fine with what you're doing and be fine with where you are and understand like no one pins a gold star on you in life for getting a little bit further that day. That's the own, I think as women, those are the own pressures we put upon ourselves. Right. Right. And it's just, especially for women juggling careers, juggling motherhood, juggling, you know, every single thing that is on our plate inherently, we feel like we have to do it all at all times. And if we somehow let something drop, then, you know, it makes you feel terrible. I think you always just like something's got to give at some point. Yeah. And that's okay. That's something can give yeah. and nothing happens as a result of that. And I don't think that we all give ourselves enough credit to understand that when you're juggling so much, it's okay yeah. if something drops every once in a while. That's just life. You know, yeah. no one's going to, no one's going to be super angry at you because as I said before, like you didn't fold the laundry on a Monday as opposed to a Tuesday, if that's what in your yeah. mind you think you need to do. Um or anything. Take it down to like a human level too, let alone this, right? Or the rest of the week. Um, that's me. <laughs> so how would you say that motherhood has changed? Like how you approach all of this? Because, you know, being a mom, like obviously something always has to give as a mom, but you know, in your career, how are you figuring it out? Well, I think that motherhood in my career was such a gift because it really allowed me to look outside of the four walls of my office, which I think for so many people is all consuming. You know, it's very, when you're in an, an office environment, it's incredibly easy to get completely absorbed into the drama of where you work and you're only thinking about what you're doing. And there's nothing that allows you a release from any of that. But then you start having children and you can't think about all of the things that are going on at work all the time when you have a, a small baby or a toddler or, you know, in our cases, multiple children. Like those are things that don't allow for that. And what it really teaches you to do is prioritize. You know, I went back to work after my first child and it was like getting into the office and making sure that I got my work done so I could get home for that first feeding was the most important part of the first six months after I returned to make sure that my milk supply was high. Right. And so Mm -hmm. things like that, that I would never have thought about, you know, I casually amble into someone's office and sit in their desk and chat for an hour about nothing. I stopped doing that. You know, if I wanted to see someone and have a five minute conversation, I would lean against the door and never walk in, never sit down because I knew that I wouldn't leave. And then that would be time that I wouldn't have to do work. So it made me really efficient with my time at work. And it also really taught me about prioritizing things that were important to me. Did I need to go have coffee with X, Y, and Z for two hours in the middle of the day? Probably not. Could that be accomplished in half an hour in my office? Certainly. So I think that Small things like that were incredibly important. And I think the one thing that motherhood has taught me more than anything in life is patience. Patience with my children, patience with myself. I mean, those are really difficult things. I'm not a patient person. I like to move at the speed of light. But it's given me patience and empathy for other people, you know? 
to understand that if someone isn't exactly on time, there probably is a reason if I ask, I might find out a little bit more about that person. Why were you late? Oh, I was late because I had to go check on my mom before I came here. What's going on with your mom? She has cancer. I had no idea. You know, it's interesting how we all think these artificial timelines we set up in life are so important. And certainly you need to do things at some point on time. But there also is a lot that can be asked by ask or gained by asking those questions of other people. Yeah, before we just assume ahead and judge. And I love that you also said, you know, getting control of your time too. It's so easy when you're in a position like that and in such a powerful career where everybody, you know, wants a piece or wants to talk to you, really like saying no and setting up some boundaries um, or maybe reframing or reworking those boundaries so they suit your schedule more. Like, why don't you come to me and we can put 30 minutes on our calendar at this point versus let me go out for two hours and I'll accommodate your schedule. Yeah. And I think that's so true. The other thing I've found is, and I have a, a very close friend and we've had many conversations about this because she's such a people pleaser and she loves to book five things at the same time. And then she has to cancel four of them, but she wants to say yes to everything. And I know that the intent is pure because as a woman, that's what we want to do, right? We're always sort of like, of course I'll, I'll do it Mm -hmm. all. I'll do it all. And then the day comes and there's actually physically no way, unless you're going to completely chop up your entire body and send it out to a different part of Manhattan that you could actually make that happen. So I think that the most important thing is to really prioritize the things that are important to you and stick to that and be okay with letting those other things go. Because then if you're being true and saying to someone like, you know, I would love to come to your dinner, but I simply can't because my child has X this night, or I have to be at this event, or frankly, I just need a night at home. Like I need to be at home. I need to be with my kids. I need to go to bed on time. Like these are important things that are as important as me seeing you. So let's do that another week because time, things can wait usually. Yeah. I mean, time is like the biggest commodity as, as moms, I feel like we've really, every little minute of our life is like, I have to schedule it because if I don't have that time with my family, it's like, what's the point? Yeah. So yeah, time is the biggest commodity. Exactly. But I think also scheduling time for ourselves. This is something I really- Oh, we're getting into that. So important. Yeah. It's so important. And you know, it is the first thing to fall by the wayside. And if I look back to 2019, the insane lengths that I was going to, to simply just be here because my children were waking up on this day. I mean, I would round trip to California twice in two days, you know, go Monday, come back on a red eye, go again Wednesday. And my husband was sort of like, why don't you just stay? And I was like, well, cause I want to be with the kids when they wake up. But what I wasn't really thinking about is the toll that was taking on me as an individual. And that was you know, that was a a rat race that I was on for 20 years at that point. And I think the difference between 2019 and 2020 and just my ability to sleep again and and the time was such a crucial part of that and the ability to just not be going a million miles a minute that I found a really nice balance post-COVID that I hope to always stick with because I feel good all the time. I don't feel like I'm running it on empty and my kids feel like when I'm here, I'm present and happy to be here, which is equally important. Right. And I think there's there's those pivotal moments. I know I've had them. You certainly have when you're on this hamster wheel and rat race. And um, especially in the world that we work in, in fast-paced New York, high-power women, mm-hmm. you don't really ever slow down. And sometimes mm-hmm. it literally takes something to slow you down completely. And I think there was COVID. I know also other incidents that make you really reevaluate your life and how you're living things, um, kind of what's important, what the values are. 
we never really give ourselves the time because each day is constant 24 hours of this and that. And when you have something that's so big that can happen to you, that really, really does put things in perspective of how much time we have here. Um, you think about what you want for going forward, right? Absolutely. COVID for a lot of us. I know Lydia, you've also been through, through quite some, some, some changes this past year and just the value of life itself is so important. It's so important. And, you know, I would tell anyone who was asking, I've put this out on Instagram, but my family was in a car wreck on Halloween. And it is an incredible thing to go through something where you narrowly miss death and be with your entire family in that moment. And then, you know, I had very substantial injuries, which I've been recovering from for really almost five months now. And both psychologically, but also emotionally, and then dealing with my children's emotional and psychological well-being at the same time. And my my husband and I, as partners, having experienced this in different ways, but in the same way, um, it just shows you the value of your time and your life, and that life could really be over in a second. And if you if you have the opportunity, like I did, to look back on your life, which I feel like post-accident, I really did be proud of what you've done. Like make sure that you're living the life you want. I would say to any person who asked, if you asked me if I was happy with my life up until that day, I would say yes, because there isn't anything I would change leading up to it. And I think that that's a really wonderful lesson for me about continuing to live authentically and to live the life that I want to live and I want for my family to live and not being scared of things, not being scared of change, not being scared of things that scare me, frankly, and just going after them and moving forward because that's what life is about. And I think a lot of us, we stay on the back foot because we're scared of things. We stay in a reactive mode because we're scared that someone might say something or think something of us that frankly, they're not thinking about and they don't care about. So what if we just freed ourselves from that and we lived the life that we wanted to live, assuming that maybe tomorrow it wasn't going to be there anymore. That's always what I say. Yeah. Tomorrow's not a guarantee. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I love that you said that fearless, being fearless is a gift. Yes. And that is so true. And it's really something like a great outlook on not only your career, but also like being a mom and living your life. Yes. Because you show that to your children as well. You know, that's, you, you have to understand and you have to believe, and I can certainly see this with my children having gone through everything that we went through. You know, I had a spinal fusion and I'd broken seven ribs and I'd had internal surgery. So I wasn't really supposed to be, well, I couldn't move at the beginning. Obviously I was in the hospital for eight days and then I came home and it was hard to sit up. Like it was hard to, to even just turn over. Cause it was like everything in my body felt broken. And I knew that if I didn't get, my kids would come in and just kind of stare at me. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. like perpetually in motion and I would will myself to get up. And I remember one day I'd always, I'd been in these sort of nightgowns every single night. And I'm more of like, I wish I was a nightgown person, but I'm really yeah. not. I'm more of like a tank top and uh, shorts kind of person to sleep in. And um, I remember like, I, I'm, I just was allowed to bend over for the first time this past week. I mean, this is, this is the level at which wow. I'm going at this point. And I remember coming out probably two months after the accident, wearing a tank top and shorts. And my daughter was like, oh, mommy, now you look like you again. Like you look oh. like a person in bed wearing a nightgown, like like convalescing. Like you look like mommy who's going to, you know, help make dinner and, and, you know, do some homework with us. And, and I actually knew what she meant, but I, every day that I got out of bed, it was for them to see 
like, I'm okay. I'm strong. And I've said it many times, like I'm strong. I'm made of steel. Literally my back <laughs> is made of steel now. Um, and we can overcome really horrible, terrible things and be okay. You know, and that's a lesson I hope that they have for the rest of their life, if nothing else, if that's the only thing they remember from this, like we're wow. a strong family and we're strong enough to overcome anything. Yeah. Physically and resilient. Wow. So resilient. So resilient. Yeah. It's also hard to have your kids see you at your weakest. Oh, we were there too. Like, I, right? I, I mean, they were in it. Not that, yeah. I mean, not it's, yeah. I mean, well, I guess, yeah, they've been, they've been in it, but kids are so strong and resilient and bounce back a lot quicker than we are. And yeah. I, I mean, I've been battling COVID for the past week and yeah. to have my kids see me at like a weak point and saying like, oh, are you okay, yeah. mommy? Like it's, you have, like, you almost feel obligated to be like, I'm okay. It's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. So like, like you said, it's, it's hard to take the time for you yeah. and to recover. Are yeah. you like actually able to do things for yourself now? Yeah, I am. I mean, exercise has always been such a huge outlet for me. And, you know, with a back injury, they say that, you know, the more you walk, the better it is. So I live in New York city. And it, honestly, the, when I first got home, when they said the more you walk, I mean, I could walk a half a block and then I would have to sit down and then I would come back and it, I would have to sleep for four to five hours. Cause my body was just mm -hmm. in such shock and recovery mode. But you know, now that I'm back to a place like I can run, I was able to run. I couldn't bend over. So I couldn't drop anything when I was running. I had to squat to pick anything up, but I can run and I can do, you know, Peloton or anything like that. So that fuels me. And as long as I can have that outlet, which I've been able to have really since about like three months after the accident, that for me is enough. Like, you know, the bending and the lifting, the twisting will come, but the, really just the ability to like move my body has been just amazing. And really, again, it just felt like such a gift to have that gift because as you can imagine with a back injury, that is definitely not a given. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. it's, it's been, wow. it's what a gift, but a good, a good process. And I will say the other thing is you learn so much through something yeah. like this. Like so many people have shared so many stories about things that I had know about. These are friends of mine who would come forth and say, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was in a horrible car wreck when I was seven. When I was, yeah. yeah. See this lovely scar here. I'm lucky to be that. alive when I was 21. Yeah. And you told me that, I think mm -hmm. when I saw you that day, we talked about doing this podcast and that level of sharing is such a gift as well, because it really opens you to the human experience. Yeah, like and that's why we're all here. There was like kind of pre for me, at least personally, pre car accident. And then, you know, post I'm like, wow, there's like yeah, a window of light you. there. And there's, you know, no rhyme or reason. The accident was so bad. This is when I was 21, but like, I am so lucky yeah. to be alive. I meant to be here. I'm a survivor. I have stories to tell. The world needs so much from me. And, and I think you never know so much about someone, what they've been through or how much they can offer. Um, yeah, it's true. It's so true. So on that, I mean, you are probably my, one of my most accomplished friends, or at least like already, you know, one, almost two books, three kids, global auctioneer, travel the world. I mean, besides children, what would you classify? And only three children, by the way, that's not enough, no. but what would you say your greatest accomplishment is? I mean, I would like to say that my greatest accomplishment is that my kids are pretty good. Like they're good kids. And I think that that's hard to do, really you is. know? After the accident, a couple of people actually told me that, like the nurses and doctors, the woman who put them in her car after the accident, they're like, you have, your kids are really good kids. And that I think as a mom is the greatest, like that, that hits you in a place where you can't even ex ex really explain the pride um, of having raised good citizens. So I think from, from that standpoint, 
that would be my greatest accomplishment. But then I think on the work side, my greatest accomplishment is raising over half a billion dollars for nonprofits. You know, that's I've been on stage as an auctioneer and, you know, I've done that on my own time. That was a skill I developed in, in addition to the one that I had in my full-time job at Christie's. And it took a lot of late nights and weekends where I was sitting sort of backstage while all my friends were going to parties and having fun. And it really was a commitment. And I feel really proud of that. And also incredible to see what those dollars have done for the nonprofits. Mm, so. I love that. I just got warm, like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, I would say, and you too, your journey has been so interesting and unique. Is there one thing you wish you you had known when you, when you started your career? I wish when I was in my 20s, someone had pulled me aside and just said, listen, a lot of people are not going to be okay with your success. A lot of people are not going to support you and that's okay. They will in time. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say because- they will in time. Like, how does that even work? But what I've realized is, especially when you're first growing in your career, if you're sort of gunning for it and you want more than other people who are just showing up to do their job every day, that's okay. And you can't look around and measure your success by looking from left to right, because your path is going to be different from everybody. Every part mm-hmm. of your path is going to be different. So don't measure your success against the people on your left and right. Look ahead and just head where you want to go and be content with the fact that at some point people will either be like, can't stand that person or wow, good on her. Look what she's accomplished with that. And either way, it doesn't matter because you're not looking for that approval. You're not seeking that gold star. You're just living your life the way you want to live. Yeah. I love that. And on that too, it's like, it's really true. You do ultimately end up with the right people surrounding you or meeting the right people or, you know, so I like to say like your tribe, the people, especially how we've all met, right? Like through the same things, the people will there will be championing you, supporting you no matter what. Yeah. You kind of attract your audience, right? You do. And I think the other haters are always going to hate. Haters are always going to hate. And I always say if someone is standing behind you with that kind of feeling or there's mm-hmm. negative energy, it's probably because it's like a... I should have, I could have, I would have. And so nothing is to be harmed by you turning around and saying like, look what I did. Let me help you. What do you want to do? Let me help you. Because a lot of times, even if you offer that hand, they won't get there anyway. It has nothing to do with that, but at least you're trying, you know, um, any of those resentful feelings come from a place of someone's internal worth. Be magnanimous and kind because you never know what someone's going through at any point in their life. And frankly, it has nothing to do with you. So don't ever make it about you. Just remember that you're doing what you want to do and that's why you're happy. And again, don't look left to right. Just look straight ahead. Ah, such <laughs> great words to live by. use that too. Right right now. You can stick that above your bed. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So we like to ask all of our guests, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, but what have you done for you, specifically you, not just for, you know, I know you're trying to get over uh, your injuries, but like, what have you done that fills so your cup? It's travel always. So yes. I've a couple of fun mm. adventure trips coming up in the next couple of months, which I'm really excited about. And that for me is really what it takes. I love to be dropped into a place where I'm completely uncomfortable in a language where I don't speak. And it's been a while between COVID and the accident that I've gone to a place that feels completely unfamiliar that I don't really know anyone. So that's, that's what's going to fill me up in the next couple of months. Amazing. Where are you going? 
So my first trip is Guatemala. I'm going down for a friend's 10th anniversary wedding or 10th wedding anniversary party. So that's really the first of of a couple of trips, but that's the one I'm really excited about because it's a couple of weeks away. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's amazing. My mother-in-law lived in Guatemala. And so I'm sure she could share lots of stories about where to go. Oh, I love it. I honestly have never been and I'm really excited to go. So good. So fun. And where else are you going? So we're planning a family trip to Italy um, with my children. Oh, that's oh, a dream. So nice. Yeah. And then I have a friend who's having a 40th anniversary or 40th birthday party in Greece. So, oh my goodness. The year of travel. I think everybody's feeling wow. that right now. I know. Right? I think yeah. so too. I think we're ready. The year, the year of yes. yes. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. This year is all about the year of yes. But saying no to the things right. that, you don't need in your life. And right. of course, they know. Yes. 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 No to everything else. Exactly. <laughs> I love that reframe too. It just, it feels so powerful. Again, the most powerful woman in the room. Like it just opens up so much more to what you do want versus less time or no time on things that just don't work anymore. Maybe that's something about exactly. where we are. Exactly. Okay. So you probably know this. Liz and I, our obsession with cheese is real. It's getting better and better. I have like, um, but we use it as a metaphor for everything. Like what's your latest obsession? We both are just, you know, these beautiful cheese charcuterie boards. Um, They're seasonal. They're always changing, but they're always inspirational and kind of a creative outlet for us. Um, But we get obsessed. And by that, we're like, you know, what would be, what would be your, what's on your cheese board? What's your latest obsession? Honestly, my my real obsession is fashion. I love yeah, fashion. I love so hearing I that. <laughs> I do. I love getting dressed up. I love putting outfits together. I love living in New York City because it's like you see the trends walking yes. in front of you. Probably totally them anywhere else. And so that for me is really my obsession. I can't wait to see what's coming out as we emerge into spring and how people are going to start dressing and what they're going to wear to really reflect who they are and what they're doing and where they are in their lives. And I personally am excited about just that entire transition into the sort of fashion of the season. I know it's so flip like sort of frivolous and and nothing of any note but to me it really is such a fun part of life and especially living in a city where people do get really dressed up it's fun to just think about what we're gonna wear to this and do for that and I can't wait well obviously being a fashion stylist I 100% agree with this and (laughs) your eyes like lit up I see the glow like people are getting dressed up. She's yes. talking about something I love too. Um, but no, but I, I really, I really do think that people are starting now, like, you know, you're traveling, people are yeah. coming back to life and people are excited again. And it's, I, you know, as frivolous as fashion can be, it also fills your soul and it yes. makes you feel good when you look good. I always say, when you look good on the outside, you feel good on the inside. So it really, it, it, it's an expression of who you are. So, and I love that you always, I've seen lots of photos of you wearing lots of color and patterns. And I just, I I feel like you see your personality when you get dressed. So I love that. Absolutely. And I always said, you know, on stage, when I first started taking auctions, I was so young and the only people really who were around me taking auctions were men. And because I was taking evening sales, they were always Mm -hmm. in black tie. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to take a charity auction, people are in black tie. And I used to take auctions in black suits because that's what I thought I should do. I should always be in a black suit. And the more comfortable I became as an auctioneer and the stronger my voice became as an auctioneer, I just started dropping the black suit. And then it sort of transitioned from a black suit Mm -hmm. to a black dress. And then maybe some sparkly heels and sparkly earrings. And now it is full color, big skirts, 
tops, like form fitted. I mean, the whole thing is a costume really. And as you said, like, if you feel good on the outside, you feel good on the inside. And that's how I feel when I get on stage. I definitely feel that that's correct. And, you know, if you've ever seen the cover of my book, it's hot pink and red. And when we were talking about the color of the book or even the book cover, when it was coming out, I kept saying to them, no, I don't think you understand. It needs, it needs to be hot pink and red. And they were sort of like, well, we could do white with hot pink. And they kept sending that. I was like, no, no, I don't think you understand. It has to be hot pink and red because there is power in mm-hmm. femininity. And that's what mm-hmm. this is. The most powerful woman in the room is you is dressed in hot pink and is still powerful. She's not dressed in a black suit. She's dressed in what she wants to wear. And she wears that because yes. she feels powerful in that. Oh, I love that. Also yeah, more words so- to live by. <laughs> yeah, more posters for your room. Right. <laughs> so I also am obsessed with hacks and Amanda and I love talking about like what is something that every mom needs or needs to do. And so we want to know what is your golden nugget of advice or a hack that you might have for us? I'm such a believer in planning. I know that nothing ever goes according to plan, but writing things down for me is Bible. So before the week starts on Sunday night, I have a paper calendar in my room that I put every single thing that's happening that entire week on that paper calendar for everyone to see. I know people do this on dry erase boards. I know that that's an easy way to do it. But Sunday night for me is a day to start my week. I don't start on Monday morning mm-hmm. on the back foot. Me I start too. Sunday night. I know exactly what's coming. We've talked about it as a family. And in addition to that, it helps me plan everything over the course of the week. Because if I can see that on Monday night and Wednesday night, I have an auction, I'm already pulling out clothes to make sure that I don't have to worry about that on Monday and Wednesday when ultimately someone will come home from school sick or they will forget their homework and we'll have to go back up. Like you have to plan because there's no time to plan during the course of the day. Let's be honest. You're always on your back foot over the course of the day. So Sunday for me is to set the prep for the week. I know people do that for meal prep. That for me is week prep. So get that calendar out. It could be Google. It could be whatever you want it to be, but make sure you know what your week looks like. So you're not on Tuesday sort of thinking to yourself, what happens on Thursday? Oh God, have I done this for Wednesday? Did they do like, get it planned out. Then you, then you can react to it. You don't have to be on your back foot the whole time. So true. I love Sunday nights for that too. It's just like the overview. And I love the fact that you take pen to paper. I am so old school like that too. Something about crossing yes, it out or knowing. It's exactly that. Yeah. So good. What's your favorite, like what kind of planner or calendar do you use? Is there one in particular or? Yes. Lydia's so, text. and I can, you guys are not going to be able to see this because you're on a podcast, but I actually have a paper calendar that I print out on printacalendar.com. I've been Ooh. doing this for 20 years now, and it's basically just an empty calendar with all the days lined up. It's so nice. not Brilliant. at all, but it's so easy to, and I have it for the entire year. So I can see what's happening every so week great. for the entire year. And I keep so I also screen, I also take um, pictures of it because I did once lose it off the, my balcony and it was a really horrifying day, oh my but I realized God. That it was happening for the rest of my life. So uh, make sure that you take pictures on your phone, which I've also done, but um, it really is a great way to be able to just sort of see everything that's coming up in front of you for months on end. That's great planning. So smart. Time. Oh my God. So good. Lydia, where can our listeners find you? So my main social media vehicle is Instagram, which is a minute by minute account of my life. (laughs) So feel free to jump on at any point. And I don't think it's creepy at all if you know where I am, because I put it out there for a reason. But I do think Instagram is such an interest. It's just such a fun way to get your point of view across and to empower people and just 
get your voice known. And as an author, you know, I'm always out there writing. So it's fun to be able to sort of say a couple of things that ultimately might turn into a chapter. So for me, it's kind of a record of what's going on over the course of my day and my life. Um, and I really enjoy that. And then everything, it's Lydia Finette is my handle for everything, for Facebook, for LinkedIn, for Twitter. And I would say to your listeners, I'm always available for a DM. I'm always available for any kind of just like quick message. I love, I love corresponding and meeting new people. So feel free to reach out if I didn't cover anything or you have any questions about anything yeah. I said. I am so excited for your new book too. The first one, like. Oh, thank you. Yeah. When does it come out? So it'll come out early spring of next year. Book, to, book writing oh, takes wow. a long time. It's it's all written, but it takes about a year to publish after you finish writing it. So it'll come out early next year. Wow. I mean, that doesn't even sound like a lot of time when you're also juggling a full-time job and three kids. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you know, give it to a busy mom and we'll get it all done yeah, as you know. As we do. Amen to that. Yeah. Awesome. Lydia, thank you so much. Of course. My yeah, pleasure. This was best. so Love fun. chatting with you. You too. You have so many words of wisdom and all the posters I'm going to put up in my room with all your words. Uh, Yes. Yes. Well, we'll have to have you back. (laughs) Well, I look forward to it, you guys. Thank you so much for having me on today. I love this. That's Mongo's. I love you, Mama. Love this episode of the podcast? Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to share it with a friend. Say hi to us on Instagram at Mongols of Podcast and follow me at The New York Stylist and Amanda at Amanda Mintz. See you next week.